The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Oh man, I'm excited. And yes, I am an evangelist. I do not apologize for that. I'm very loud, but I'm loving. <laughs> I'm, like a, I'm like a cheerleader. I'm cheering you on, okay? Because we've got a great work to do. Amen? This is a, I'm a crowd participation preacher. So the more you participate, the faster this thing goes. Amen? Amen. <laughs> uh, join with me this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 3. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. He is, he, uh, Pastor is correct. It's, first of all, it's an honor to be here. I was really excited about coming here. And, um, and I, felt like, I felt like this is the first time I've ever had to raise one of these. Because I'm kind of short. <laughs> That's it. Amen. So uh, I am an American-based missionary evangelist, okay? My, me and my wife and my, my five kids, we live in Dallas, Texas. So you may hear that y'all come out every now and then, if that's okay. Come. You know, I'll tell you, I love coming to California because it's a different variety of food, but it's always good to get home to barbecue. And I've had barbecue, I'm like a barbecue connoisseur, and I've had it in every city that I've went to, and so far, I'm going to be honest, Dallas, it's the best. And I don't know. I don't know about you, but is it okay? I like to joke around and have fun when we do this stuff too, right? We're the family of God. We should be able to have fun and have family conversations. So that's what we're going to have today, amen? So I am absolutely excited about where the Lord is having me go this morning. How many of you love what, this, what the wonderful prayer leader down here said? Come on, give her a round of applause. I'm going to tell you that every decision that you will make in your life, from, the, from, from financial to marital decisions to family to mission to, to, um, to identity, will all be found in the secret place. I'm very excited to go there this morning, but I want to I share with you, I had a few words for the house, if that's okay. That I felt like the Lord, and actually I got one of them this morning when I was back there in prayer. That's how powerful it is. If you're not here for the pre-service prayer, you should check it out. Okay? I was back there this morning, and um, I felt like, has anybody in this room ever seen the movie Facing the Giants? Raise your hand if you've seen the movie. Amen. That's a great movie. Do you remember the part of the evangelist when he's walking through praying for the lockers of the school? He wants to see a great harvest take place in the high schools. So he's walking through and he's praying for each one of them. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. He's just saying, reach them, Lord. Bring them to the cross, Lord. Bring the harvest, Lord. And he's praying. Well, all of a sudden, the work that the coach is doing starts to get bring him down a little bit. How many of you know that pastors need prayer? Okay, I'm going to utilize, I'm going to say that the coach in this situation is a pastor. Sometimes pastors get attacked. Sometimes pastors have, you know, they have, they're still men. They're still on this earth. And just as the pastor is supposed to pray for us, we're supposed to pray for the pastors. Can I get an amen on that? So he walks into the coach's room. Now listen, the coach has had a really hard time. The coach is walking through difficulties. He's got, he's, he feels like he's not owing up to people's expectations. And he feels like people are beginning to murmur and backbite. And people were. Remember the other coaches? They were getting together in the movie and they were talking about removing him as the head coach. Well, the evangelist walks into his office one day and he opens his Bible up to Revelations 3. And he tells him, he says, basically, there's going to be another door that opens. When the Lord shuts one door, there's another door that opens. And then he walks out of the room. That's it. That's, that's the big thing. That's the, the evangelist does. They walk in, they drop the bomb, and then they walk off sometimes. So he walks in and he drops this bomb and the coach is sitting there and he's like, what in the world was he just talking about? And then he jumps up and he runs to him in the hallway. And he said, did you really believe that the Lord wanted you to release that to me? And he said, yes, I did. And then he turns to him and he says, well, what am I supposed to do? 
And he looks at him and he goes, he tells him a fun story. He says, two farmers are both in dire need of rain. Their crops are dying. Their crops are wilting. So both of them begin to pray for rain, but only one of them begins to prepare his soil for it. Begins to prepare his soil to receive the rain. I feel like, Pastor, at this church right here, when I was in the back, I feel like there's several leaders in the area that have been praying for revival. They've been praying for a historic output, I mean, outpouring. And I believe the Lord is challenging you today and saying, prepare your fields for the rain. There's going to be a great increase, a great harvest. I was in the back back there, and I believe I felt like the Lord was talking to me about, now this is crazy, I'm just throwing it out there, talking to me about this church having like worship record labels. You know how you have like Forerunner music or Bethel music or Upper Room music? Uh, like having its own brand of throne room worship and just other, uh, other aspects of it. Is that okay? Because I really believe that. Can you see that? Give me an amen. Yeah. Amen. I can see that as well. And see, the, the important part of all of that is it's all kept in a family concept. Two things you'll learn about me, guys. I preach on getting the lost saved and being family. That's a big thing to me. A wife of 21 years, five babies. I love family. Is that okay? And I believe when the Lord is talking to the community, to the body, we become a family together. This is totally not what I'm preaching on. This is free. Amen? There's no charge for this. It's extra. It's great. I'm family, the family concept is what creates the sustainability for revival. Think about it for a second. If that door opened up, and thousands and thousands of people come running in here if there wasn't enough family members that were solid, that were grounded and rooted in the Lord and had been discipled to be able to turn around and minister, then the, the harvest could not be maintained. Amen? So family is really important. There you go. I will tell you, I am... Um, I've been here this weekend, and I also spoke at a, Harvard, um, a, a conference this weekend, and I spoke at a conference last weekend, and there's some unusual things that the Lord is pouring out. Uh, we're going to dive into a little bit of that today, but before I get started, I don't have a bunch of time to give my, tip, my personal testimony, but what I do want to do is I want to give you just a snippet so you see where I'm coming from. I felt like the Lord said in the back that I'm going to be a friend of this house. So I'm, I, I imagine that there'll be other times that I can share the rest of it with you. Amen? Um, I am a cancer survivor. Amen? And here's the thing that happened to me, just really quickly. I had went to Reinhard Bonnke's School of Evangelism. When I came back from Reinhard Bonnke's School of Evangelism, and I began to actually work as an evangelist, what is your main tool as an evangelist? Your voice. That is right. And I, I, all of a sudden, I was, I, was, I was not able to walk like from here to that door back there without losing my breath. I was just constantly struggling to breathe. I lost my voice to where I could only speak in a whisper like this. And I did not understand what was going on. I went to several doctors, and several doctors told me that, you know, you, you have sleep apnea and just all kinds of other stuff, which wasn't true. So I am sitting there one night, and I am praying, and my wife, who is a woman of prayer, I just want to say this right now, I have the best wife in the world. She's a woman of prayer, right? And she comes up to me, and I am hugging my pillow, and I'm struggling to breathe. And she says, you know what, honey? We're going to pray on the way to the hospital. She says, get in the car. And she takes me to the hospital. And there's a procedure that they do. I'm going to be a little graphic if that's okay. But they stick a tube up your nose and it goes down into your throat. And they're able to look and see if there's anything obstructing your airway. Okay? So they stuck the tube up my nose. They stuck it down into my airway. And immediately he pulls it back out. And he says, Mr. Wood, you have a mass of tumors that are all together and they're wrapped around your vocal cords right now. He says, we have to do emergency surgery. So he goes in, they do emergency surgery, comes back out. Two weeks later, I've got a follow-up. I go in, they do the same thing with the scope, and they tell me, this is how aggressive the cancer was. It's already halfway back to where it was. And that's in two weeks. And he's saying, we're going to have to start radiation treatments. We're going to have to start... You know, you're going to have to start going through chemo, all of this, but we're going to start with radiation. 
I wish I could tell you that I just did one of these. In Jesus' name, be healed. And it went away. That is not the story. That's not the story. The story was, I allowed the enemy to start to speak lies to me. Okay? I, I, I love preaching on sonship. I love preaching on being a son. I'm really, really, really happy with that. But all of a sudden, I was engulfed with an orphan mindset, and I felt like I was just ready to shrivel up and die. And then all of a sudden, one evening, the day before I started radiation treatments, I get a, I get a phone call from, get this, a street evangelist who calls me up and he says, how are you doing? And I told him, I said, I'm not doing really good right now, man. I'm not really not doing good. And I wasn't going to tell him the whole story because at that moment, I was mad at God. And if God wanted to intervene, then God had to tell him what was going on. Does that make sense? I mean, when you're in that place of hurt and struggle, when you're in that place of just feeling like, when, when you take on an orphan mindset, you don't believe anybody cares anything at all about you. And, and, and you walk in that, and everyone that is around you can feel that. So on the phone, he, he tells me, he says, all of a sudden, he goes, what is going on? And I stop for just a minute, and he goes, I want to pray for you right now, man. So he begins to pray healing. Like, I didn't tell him anything, right? And he begins to pray healing. And then I told him, he says, I want you to say something. And I said, what is that? And he goes, I want you to say, I will live and I will not die. And I'm going to be honest. I didn't mean it when I said it. I was in a very bad place. Is anybody in here, is it just me, or is there anybody in here been in a very bad place like that where you didn't want to hear anything about Jesus because you thought He had turned His back on you? Let's just be real. We have a real God. Can we, can we agree on that? So, all of a sudden, He said, say it again. And I'm like, I will live and I will not die. Say it again, I will live and I will not die. Say it again, I will live and I will not die. Say it again, I will live and I will not die. You see the difference? The more I begin to speak, the power of life and death truly is in the tongue. And the more I begin to speak it, the more I begin to believe it. And then something happened. I went home that night and I went to bed and I got up the next day and pastor, I could breathe. Now mind you, this is already a week after they told me it was half its normal size. Oh, you guys, you guys tracking with me? So I go into the radiation. How many of you have ever been to a radiation clinic? It smells horrible. And, and, and there's like death all around. I am sitting in my chair and I'm shaking. And I'm crying. And my wife, who's this woman of prayer, I love her. She is over there and she is like, it's okay, baby. It's okay. I'm here. And I'm like, all of a sudden I look at her and I go, I'm about to preach the gospel to everybody in this room right now. <laughs> And she's like, okay, okay. And I said, no, Shanna, you don't get it. Something's different. I'm going to walk in there, baby, and they're going to tell me it looks like nothing was ever there. And again, she's going, okay, baby. You know, she'll pray in the Spirit for a minute and then go, okay, baby, okay. It's a good wife. So I go to the back. I'm back there. Doctor comes in. There's an oncologist. There is a, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember all their names, radiologist and a PA. So they come in there and they do the scope thing. They pull the scope out and the oncologist and the radiologist leave the room. And when they leave the room, I asked the PA, I was like, uh, kind of still over here. You know, what'd they see? What's going on? He turns around and he goes, let me go talk to him. He goes and talks to him. He comes back. He goes, Mr. Wood, I don't know what to tell you, but it looks like there was nothing there. Immediately, immediately, I am not a big vision guy. I love coming to churches and hearing people talk about visions and all of this, but forever, in, that, in those days, I wasn't a big vision guy. I walk out of the door into the waiting room, and I see, you guys know what a branding iron is? I know I'm from Texas, but you know what, like branding iron, what they use for cattle? And in that, it said Acts 420, and it hit me right in my heart. And then I, I wish I could tell you I was super spiritual and I knew what that verse was, but I didn't. So I'm like, thank you, Jesus. What does that even mean? And I, I go to the car and I look it up and it says, 
I cannot help but speak of the things I have seen and heard. I believe Jesus saves because he saved a low-down drug dealer like I was. And I believe he heals because he completely took cancer away from me. So this is the message that the Lord has, has, has had me going everywhere and preaching. And you'll see, I'm going to intermingle it in. Let's dive right into the Word. Dive right into the Word. So Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came into Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, you might want to underline this, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. So we're going to start right there for just a minute. We're going to dissect this particular passage of Scripture because what it does is it opens the doors to so many other things. And we read over this. This is like the beginning of the story. You know, everything in this book is really, really good. I, my, 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 one of my mentors, Reinhard Bonnke, he used to say all the time, he used to say, open it anywhere. It's all good. He's a German, a German-African guy. So. Uh, but it's all good. But we want, I want to dive in right here for just a second. I want to create a picture, if you will. I want to create the scene. So he is way out in the middle of nowhere. Anybody in here ever been to Israel? Okay, he's way out in the middle of nowhere. And he's tending for his flock. And then all of a sudden... He sees a burning bush. All of a sudden, he sees something. There's nobody else out there with him. Listen, there's nobody walking around with a lighter or matches in those days. So this is a great sight, but it, 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 it grabbed a hold of him. You know, sometimes the only way that we can get pulled into the secret place is to be arrested by God. You know, I love what my dear sister said earlier. A lot of times, we don't go into the secret place Unless we have a need or something's going on. Let me ask you this. How many of you in this room are married? If you walked around and never talked to your spouse, how good would the relationship be? If you never had a form of communication with your spouse and you never said anything to her or him, how good would your relationship be? If your spouse only came to you when they needed something, how good would your relationship be? Think about that for a second. I know this is deep and heavy, but it gets better. Amen? Just journey with me. All right? So how good would it be? I love the part where it said, where he said in his own mind, I will turn aside. I will make the decision no matter what time of the day it is. I will make the decision because I know the importance of going into this place. I will make the decision to stop my daily routine, to stop the busyness of life. And I will enter in with him. So he made that decision. Listen, this is very, very critical. We have to make the decision in our heart, I will spend time with God. Away from every... I love corporate settings. I love, I love when Jesus does things and there's a corporate prayer room and there's a corporate fast and all that. That is amazing. And that's all throughout Scripture. But there is something rather unique and very special about that alone time when we shut off all the noise. You know, I don't even listen to worship when I do my secret place time. Here's why. Sometimes we get so carried away with the words that we're not, we're not quick enough to listen. So I'll shut it all off and I'll sit there and I'll just listen for the Lord. And you know what? It may sound like a lot of silence for a long, long time, but you know what? you'll also feel a sense of peace that comes over you. I'm not saying this is something that everybody has to do. This is just the journey that the Lord has me on that I don't even listen to worship music. I want to sit in my prayer closet alone and listen for His voice. I want to turn off all other noise. Scripture says, with our ears and our eyes, especially our eyes, it says, turn your eyes from looking at worthless things. You know, I would even say, turn your ears from, looking, from listening to worthless things. Not that worship is worthless. It's, it has its, its point. But sometimes that noise, even white noise, you know, you always hear white noise. Who has to sleep with a fan? Anybody in here? White noise, it's so good. I sleep so peacefully. But what it does is it gets into your system and into your DNA and you can't hear the voice of the Lord the way that you should. 
I often do an illustration. Uh, because of the way everything's set up today, I'm not going to do it. But what I'll do is I'll have, a, I'll have a guy come up here. And I'll have his spouse go way in the back. And I'll have everybody in the congregation, I'll say, begin to talk and say good things. Like, even if you're just saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Soon enough, all of those good things block out him being able to communicate with his bride. Does this make sense? Sometimes you have to shut everything down and enter into the secret place. So he entered in right there. He said, I'm going to go in and see what this great sight was. So he goes in, and when the Lord turned to see him, listen, immediately when he entered in, guess what God did? One of the main first secrets of the secret place is God will establish your identity. God Himself will establish your identity. He says right here, when the Lord saw him and turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He began to call him by name. He began to... You guys remember the story when Jesus was baptized? Matthew 3. Everybody's there. I'm telling you, I believe everybody in the physical and the spiritual was there. So Jesus is about to get baptized, and it says that the Father tore open the heavens. It was plural. It wasn't just heaven. He said heavens. And He tore open the heavens so that everything above the earth, on the earth, and under the earth could see what He was about to do. And He said, this is My beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. A few verses later, when Jesus entered into the secret place, remember, Jesus went through this big holy moment, and then the next thing the Lord asked Him to do was now go fast and run out and talk with Me. So He begins a fast, and He walks out into the wilderness, and the very first thing the enemy comes up to Him and says is, if you really are the Son of God, I'm going to let that hit for just a second. The very first thing that He attacked with was, if you really are the Son of God. He questioned his identity, the same thing that he did to the first Adam in the book of Genesis. But Jesus had a different reply. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He says right here, he called him by name. So identity is established when we enter in to the secret place. You know, Romans 8, one of my favorite passages of Scripture when it says that God has not given us the spirit, the spirit of fear, but the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We often cut it off right there, but we forget to read the very next verse. And the very next verse says, because the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit and tells us that we are the children of God. So identity is established. Listen, what we're talking about today are the fundamentals of being able to do and be a person of mission. You have to know who you are. And one of the secrets of the secret place is he establishes that. But you have to be committed to say, I will turn aside and I will set up. Listen, we have our staff. They commit to an hour a day. Maybe you can't do an hour. Maybe you can only do 30 minutes a day. But whatever it is, God will visit you in that personal time. He will visit you in that 15 minutes you give Him. He will visit you in that 30 minutes you give Him. We have to be intentional about spending time with the Creator of relationship with us. We've got to be wanting to hear His Word. Listen, all other religions, it is a monologue. They believe it is a dictatorship and the God is barking out all of these orders. But in Christianity, it's a dialogue. He speaks to us and wants us to speak to Him. He speaks to us and wants us to speak to Him. It's this beautiful song and dance of just the bride and the bridegroom coming together. And I'll tell you this, beloved. This is one of the tragic things that's really really impacting our nation right now. The Lord is not schizophrenic. Hear me on this. He's not going to say one thing in His Word and then something else in the Spirit. The rhema and the logos will always embrace each other. The rhema and the logos will also communicate well with each other. They'll never, God is not schizophrenic. So we have to be willing to go in. And we have to be willing to give Him this time. Because when our identity is established, then everything else can kind of flow out of that. God speaks to you about who He is and then tells you who you are in Him. It's the apple of the eye paradigm. Have you guys ever seen the apple of the eye? Do you know what I'm saying when I say the apple of the eye? 
Okay, I'm going to use an illustration here. Danny and Rita, can you come here real quick? I want you to understand something right now, beloved. He talks in Zechariah about being the apple of, that Israel being the apple of his eye. But I want you to understand something. I want you to, come here guys, come here. Danny, I want you to turn this way. And Rita, I want you to turn this way. Oh, right here facing Danny. Now I want you guys to see something. Okay, I want you to step back a little bit. Can you see your reflection in her eye right now? Right, can you see yourself in her eye? You can't right now, right? Watch this. Take a step closer. You're beginning to see something, right? Step closer. 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 Do you see? This is a very intimate moment right now. I mean, it would be really weird if I was like this with Danny. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? It'd It'd be weird. But these guys right now, they're together. And notice something right now, because of this intimate moment, because of this place where they are right now, watch this. Rita, gaze in his eyes. Now watch this. Rita, what am I doing right now? You have no idea, right? Danny, gaze into her eyes. What am I doing right now, Danny? They're not consumed with what's going on around them. Now watch this. Can you see your reflection in her eyes? Can you see your reflection in his eyes? This is the love language. This is the Father. This is the closeness of intimacy. When he says, if you gaze at me, you will not only see me, but you'll see yourself in me. Thank you guys so much. That's the level of identity. You guys are great, right? That's the level of identity that he's called us into. There's another thing. That I, I mean, the Holy Spirit does several things in the secret place. Amen? But there's another thing that He does quite openly with everybody that engages with Him. And He brings, he brings what I like to call humility and anguish. You can't help but pick up your daddy's traits. You know, my son... I love this story my wife tells all the time. She'll walk up to me. I mean, all my kids, you know, they've got traits of their father. You know, all my kids, they've got traits of their mother. But they'll walk up to me and she'll say, she'll say, the youngest one is you made over. And I'll go, what are you talking about? And see, I use, even something so small and insignificant that I never thought about, I say the word literally a lot. I mean, I really do. I say that word a lot. Everybody that knows me, they're like, here he goes again. He's saying literally... She says, your son does the same thing. And I'm like, oh, stop it, woman. He doesn't do that. We're at a basketball game. He comes running up to me and he goes, dad, did you see that? I literally shot that three-pointer and it literally went in the basket and literally everyone started cheering. I went, oh my goodness. (laughs) You can't help it. Fathers, when your sons are with you or your daughters are with you, mothers, when your sons are with you and your daughters are with you, they begin to organically pick up the traits of the one that they're with and the one that they're loved by. When we are in the secret place, God establishes such a heart of love and such a heart of humility. You know, Jesus says something in John 13. A lot of people read over this too. Did you realize right before Jesus washed the disciples' feet, it said this. It said that because Jesus knew who He was, where He came from and where He was going, He was able to to put on the robe of a servant. He was able to put on the robe of a servant because his identity had been established and because of communion with his father, love. And because he was his father, a member of the Godhead, love began to flow. I mean, the more we spend time with the Lord, things that you'll notice that used to set you off and make you mad, they won't be as impactful anymore. That all of a sudden, the people that you used to get so irritated with, you'll look at them in a whole new light and a whole new understanding. What is going on? What is happening at this moment? I believe that the Lord is doing like a baptism of anguish to where we literally see people. I said it, you see me? See people through His eyes. You know, Hebrews tells us that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Where Abel's blood cries out for justice, Jesus cries out for mercy. 
You know, he even says it. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You know, another vision that I had just real quickly, and I shared this morning, and I don't even know what it looks like, but another vision that I had was, I was, this was a couple weeks ago, I was, actually it was a dream, I'm sorry, it was a dream, guys, uh, I come home on a Sunday morning, I was just really grieved over the thing in New York, I was really grieved, my wife is real big into the pro-life movement, and I was really grieved over it, and I'm sitting there going, we need to go up there and preach the gospel, that's what we need to do, that's what we did when we went to love New York, right guys? Yeah, you sit right there on the steps. You want to see the ending of abortion? Preach the gospel message. You want to see the ending of human trafficking? Preach the gospel message. When all of a sudden people get saved and their sin is exposed, they, want to, they learn to want to live a life of love like Jesus and not hurt others anymore. So we would go up there. Or my wife, my, you know, I was really hurt. So I went in there and I laid down. I just had a conversation with my wife. She was talking about going up and, and doing a, like a pro-life thing in New York and and all this, and I'm just like, amen. I go in there to take a nap, Sunday naps, hallelujah. Can I get a witness, somebody in here? So I went in there thinking it was going to be a normal Sunday nap. I was just, I had already gotten my belly full, and I was ready. And all of a sudden, I'm standing in the middle in this dream, in the middle of this megachurch. And I'm not speaking, I'm standing over to the side. I, don't, I didn't see any speakers. You know, I think that right now, a lot of times what the Holy Spirit is doing is He is moving by Himself. That Jesus the evangelist is coming into the room himself. Because he's a whole lot better evangelist than I am. Amen? So all of a sudden, I see a wave, a wind, just come, a rushing mighty wind blow into the room, and people everywhere just begin to fall over. And they begin to weep, and they begin to cry, and they begin to surrender, and they begin to laugh with joy. You know, uh, it, it, was, it was crazy. And I'm standing there, and I'm watching this, and I'm like, oh Lord, this is so beautiful. And then I was in another church. And the same thing happened again. And then I was in another church, and the same thing happened again. And then another church, and another church, and another church. This went on eight times. I remember this. And then I'm standing in downtown, downtown Manhattan in this dream. And I notice the walls begin to shake, and they blow out, and the Spirit of the Lord runs freely through the streets. And people are just getting hit by the Lord as the Spirit of the Lord is moving. And I said, I said, Lord, what is this? And he said this, I'll never forget it because this is the type of God that we serve. He said, where I should pour out justice because of the babies, I will relent and pour out mercy and historic revival. And he said, you know where he said, all of a sudden I started seeing the names of cities that came up. And do you know the city's name that he said it was going to start at? Los Angeles, California. The last thing I want to talk to you about real quickly is I want to talk to you about boldness. That's a big thing when it comes to evangelism and mission. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody in here? The enemy to evangelism is fear. And if you deal with the very first thing, which is identity, a lot of times that fear is, is greatly reduced. Because the antidote to fear is sonship. The antidote to fear is knowing who you are because perfect love casts out all fear. Who is love? God is love, 1 John 4, 7 and 8 tell us. That He is the antidote to fear. And knowing who we are in Him, therefore we can walk without fear. It sounds great. Walking it out's a little different. Okay? I remember the first time I ever had a young lady with me and I looked at her and I said, get up and open air preach in the middle of this restaurant. She looked at me like, you have lost your ever-loving mind. And I said, no, God wants to do some things. I'm sorry, it was a young man. I said, God wants to do some things in this restaurant. And he said, I ain't hearing it. You know, I said, well, why don't you pray and ask? Oh, no, 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 that's the channel you're on right now. I said, okay. So I stood up and I opened our preach and we had many saved and many healings that broke out right there in the restaurant. The young man began to weep and he began to cry, and he said, I will never let fear overtake me again. It was actually really funny. Three days later, we're at a food court in a mall. And all I did was say, man, this would be a good place to open air preach. And I look up, and he's standing on top of a table. And he goes, excuse me, everyone. And he begins to preach the gospel message. And I went, well, I wasn't saying it that time, but you go. <laughs> it was great. It was fun. But that's the biggest thing is boldness right there. And I want to take you to one of my favorite chapters. I just talked about it. 
Turn with me real quickly to Acts chapter 4. Is this okay? You guys, you guys are quiet. Hallelujah. I love Acts chapter 4. To me, this, this is like a really funny chapter. Like everything that's going on. Like even when they say, we've seen that they were unlearned men. In other words, they're not big college graduate professors and all of that, yet they're seeing miracles. Ooh, I'm going to let that one drop for just a second, man. Don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking Bible college, I love it. But you don't have to go to Bible college to be a missionary. You don't have to go to Bible college to be a messenger, to be used by the Lord. I, I, I didn't see where it said Paul, or when he comes up to Matthew the tax collector, he had two words, he said, follow me. He didn't say, after you achieve your master of divinity. He said, follow me right now. And I believe that. So I love this chapter. But notice when it gets to the end of the chapter, verse 29. And it says, and now the Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place and where they were began to shake. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of the Lord with all boldness. When you're in the secret place and you're with Him, you naturally begin to get bold. Why? Because when you begin to pray for your lost family, your lost friends, and your lost co-workers, and many of you that have done that before, how many times in your prayer have you said, Lord, raise up somebody right now, God, to go to them? Raise up somebody right now, Lord. You're always speaking in a third person. Raise up somebody. But in your own heart, you start to notice something is building. Something is building up in you. And when you see them, what is your very first inclination to do? It's to tell them the gospel message. It's that that's what happens in the secret place is you just get full of the boldness of God. I remember, how are we doing on time? Okay, I'll do like an auctioneer in a minute if I need to. I'm just kidding. I remember a testimony Reinhard Bonnke said. Anybody in here know who Reinhard Bonnke is? Okay. So Reinhard speaks about this in his, in, his in his biography, Living a Life of Fire. He talks about this moment when he, uh, when, 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 when he was doing this massive tent revival. I mean, it was a massive revival. He was a missionary there. The Lord spoke to him, and the Lord said... The Lord said, I want you to bring in a healing evangelist. And Reinhardt said, okay. So he brings in this healing evangelist. He goes all over the place advertising for this. People are crawling like the lame are crawling on the ground to get to this conference. This is how excited they were. They excited they wanted to be there. So that morning, Reinhardt looks out and he sees a sea of people. The largest mass he's ever seen before. And he goes... Wow, Lord, truly, truly, this is your work. He says, blessed be the name of Jesus. Where is the healing evangelist? I will go look. So he gets in his car. He goes to the hotel. And the healing evangelist is in a, I love the way Reinhardt says it. He says, he's in a safari suit. And he pulls up to him and he goes, why are you in a safari suit? And he goes, the Lord spoke to me this morning and told me to go on vacation. He said that this was you. And Reinhard said, you better pray again. <laughs> and he goes, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. So he's driving back to the crusade. And he's crying out to God. And he hears the voice of the Lord just plain as day. And it says, Reinhard, you preach the simple gospel message. I'll supply the signs and the wonders. Oh. He says he went out on the stage and he says, I begin to preach on the blood of Jesus. And about 10 minutes in, someone holds up a wheelchair and screams, I'm healed. And then crutches start to go up everywhere. You know, Psalms 107.20 says that at the very release of the word of the Lord, that healing will happen and deliverance from their destruction will happen at the, very, at the very release. 
I mean, come on, you guys have, have read the whole Genesis 1 uh, paradigm, how the Holy Spirit actually was just hovering over the face of the deep. He was waiting for the Word of the Lord. And immediately when the Word of the Lord was released, there was light. There was understanding. There was revelation. There was knowledge. Immediately. Immediately when He spoke. It's the same way when we pray. When we pray you know, in the prayer room or when we pray for someone out on the streets, immediately we are, what are we considered? The sons of God, right? And that's, is that not what Galatians? Galatians 5, Romans 8, John 14, Luke 15, all of them talk about that we are the sons of God too and Jesus is our elder brother. So when we release the Word of the Lord, immediately there's light. Immediately there's revelation. Immediately there's knowledge. Immediately there's healing. And immediately there's deliverance. I'm believing that as the Word of the Lord is going forth right now in this room, I don't know what you came in here with, but I believe if you need healing in your body, it's happening right now in Jesus' name. I believe if you need deliverance, listen, we all need deliverance. Don't let that be a weird thing. If you need deliverance, I believe it's happening right now as the Word of the Lord is being released. But Reinhard just kept going at it. That day, there were so many souls that were added to the kingdom. It was absolutely amazing. But he was full of boldness because of his time in prayer. Watch what happens to, to Moses right here. Just a few verses later. Look, guys, this is three. This is four. Watch what begins to happen right now. Because of his time in the secret place, because of his time in secret, like Matthew 6 tells us, you know, going into the, into the prayer closet, shutting the door. I believe that the burning bush was a prayer closet scenario. He was there with the Lord. It was holy ground. He even told him to take his shoes off. Because of his obedience in the secret place, something began to shift in Moses. You remember Moses at first? He was like, I can't speak. I'm not any good. But something began to shift. His identity was established. Intimacy and anguish was established and there became to arise in him a boldness. Now he's still battling. Don't think that, oh, I pray and then all of a sudden all the fear is going to be gone. Nope. Because watch what happens in 4. Because of his obedience in the secret place, God rewards him openly with signs and wonders and miracles. Look at this. When Moses answered, but behold, this is the beginning of chapter 4, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my, listen to my voice, for the Lord said, they will say the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what's in your hand? Underline that. He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand in, out and catch it by the tail. So he did and caught it and it became a staff again that they might believe that the Lord, their God, their fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to you. And we know we keep reading there was, there was two more. There was the whole leprous hand and then there was being able to turn the water into blood. But because of his obedience in the secret place, the Lord rewarded him openly with signs and wonders. I want to tell you one last testimony real quick. Uh, we did a, you guys familiar with Love LA? We did a Love San Francisco. And in this Love San Francisco, how many of you have ever been to San Francisco? I ask a lot of questions. I want everyone to know. How many of you have ever been to the Tenderloin? Amen. I had the privilege of leading an outreach into the Tenderloin at late at night. We were in the prayer room from till like midnight, and then we were out in the tenderloin from like midnight to 3.30, 4 a.m. And while we're out there, I've got pastors next to me, and I'm like, well, what's going on here? What's going on there? And they go, we don't come out here at this time. And we're leading a group of like 30-something people. And man, we had such a sweet time of prayer, and we walk out, and we're, we're, we're walking in this time of prayer, and we're just, you know, the prayer never stops. You know, you leave the prayer room and you're still praying. And we believe, we love to take worship with us on the streets. We love to, to, to bring the worship, bring it with us like a traveling tabernacle with us. You know what I mean? So we're worshiping on the streets and we hit this area. It was so strange. There's a drug dealer sitting in a chair on the corner. And the Lord was like, stop right here. So we stopped probably 20 feet away from him and was just sitting there worshiping. And God, and we started praying for people. I mean, that night we seen someone that had a fused L3, L4, that they, they couldn't do, they couldn't raise up any farther than this. It was L2, L3. And they couldn't raise up any farther. And as we prayed for them, they were completely straightened out in Jesus' name. We seen salvations happen. People that would walk up, 
that were so far gone on narcotics, they had no common sense. At the very mention of Jesus' name, they had complete composure and, 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 and you could talk with them. We come around the corner. Now listen, this is just everyday people, right? So we come around the corner and there's a homeless guy sitting on, uh, sitting on the corner on his cardboard. And my friend is out in front, he's got the guitar and he's getting it right. And I walk up to him and I said, hey bro, what's your story? Now mind you, I'm not toting around a 50-pound Bible. I'm not in a suit. I'm not doing all that. I just said, hey bro, what's your story? And he looks at me and he says, let me have that guitar and I'll sing it to you. So we give him the guitar and the guy is probably the most amazing guitar player I've ever seen and his voice is off the charts. He's a graduate of Juilliard. And he's there and he sings the saddest song that I've ever heard in my life. And I walk up to him and I go, man, I can tell that song really meant something to you. What's going on? And he goes, bro, my best friend committed suicide two days ago. My girlfriend just died and I'm a heroin addict. How much, how much worse can it get? We looked at him and we just talked to him. Now hear me, I'm a big proponent of preaching the gospel, but I think you got to love first. I believe in love, listen, discern, and then respond. I'm going to say that one more time. Love, listen, discern, respond. If you spend time in the secret place, then you're going to get the love portion of it. You can't help that. The Lord's just going to do that. Because of time with your Father, who is love. I don't believe it's just an attribute of Him. I believe He physically is love. He's the creator of all love. He can't help but do that. But He also is holy and He also is fire, Scripture says. So we began to love on Him and just talk to Him for just a minute. We sat down. We said, hey man, let's sit. Can we sit with you? He goes, pull up some cardboard. Funniest thing, right? So we're sitting there with Him and I've never seen nothing like this in my life. Just by simply loving and listening to His story. Did you realize that the biggest two complaints that people that are 18 and under and people that are homeless have, is they don't feel like they're heard. So we listen. Be slow to and quick to. So we listened. And he just vomited his whole life out. And then all of a sudden he goes, man, I feel like there's something missing in my life. I don't know what it is. He said, what is it that you guys have? You're out here at 2 a.m., and you're sitting here with me right now. What, you act like I really matter. I want that. What is that? You know what, man? You know what? I know what it is. You're Christians, aren't you? He goes, now listen, there's a difference. I've seen two types. He said, I've seen the ones that really care. And then I've seen the ones that are out here that feel like they need a notch in their belt. And he goes, I'm not interested in the other ones. So he looks over and he goes, I think I should accept Jesus. What do you think? And as an evangelist, I was like, yeah, here we go. It's go time. I said, what do you think? Man, they got to count the cost. It's not just as simple. I'm going to be an evangelist for a minute. It's not just as simple as saying a prayer. Okay, hear my heart. The prayer is part of it. But you got to know of your sin. You've got to understand the need for a Savior. And then you've got to say, okay, what is the process and what do I have to give up? I want to be all in. I want to fully surrender. And listen to what his words are. So he says, I want it. I want it. And he begins to weep and he begins to cry. And then I said, check this out, man. There is no secret prayer. There is no, you tell the Father what your heart is saying. And this is what he said. He said, Father, he said, I've tried many different things. And each one of them, I was the Lord of my own life. Right now, I fully surrender everything to you. All the good stuff and all the bad. I ask you to sort it out, God. All I know is I want you in Jesus' name. And then his whole countenance changed. And then right then, I'm going to tell you, man, I believe as an evangelist, we gotta, once we get them saved, we got to have them walking in power. They have to have power to overcome sin. He got filled with the Holy Spirit sitting on his cardboard praying in the Spirit. 
right then and there, because that's part of it, guys. So he did that, and then get this, this was the biggest thing. Afterwards, there's a lady that had came up that was manifesting a demon, so we went over and started talking with her, and my friend walked by him, walks by him, and he looks up and he's just standing there in tears. He goes, these guys have no clue. They have no clue what just happened. No clue. He said, look, and he raises up his shirt and there's a full vial, a full load of heroin. He said, I was going to take that and die. But you guys showed up with the spiritual that covered the physical aspect. Remember when I told you to underline what is in your hand? I want you to hear something. Matthew 10 and Luke 10, they both say it this way. Preach the kingdom, heal the sick, or heal the sick and preach the kingdom. It's a show-tell, tell-show gospel. We have to be willing to do it. We have to be willing to preach the kingdom. But you know another thing that it says? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? It means it's right in front of you. It's right there. You can grab it. You can live with it. You can be, it can be a part of you. When he asked Moses, what is in your hand? Moses thought physically it was a staff, but the father was saying it's the kingdom. How many Kyles have we walked by on a day in and day out basis when all we could have done is love them? Listen, you don't have to walk up and say, listen, you need to be saved. Let me walk you down the spiritual aspects of being saved. These are the Scriptures. Now, don't get me wrong. My people perish for lack of knowledge. We need to have that knowledge. But Scripture says the word of your testimony is pretty powerful too. And it may be to where all you can do is sit there and say, I don't know about all of that, but let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. And people have come to the cross just like that. I want to challenge you. What is in your hand this morning, Valley Metro? What is in your hand? The kingdom of heaven is in your hand. If you are at your friend's house and someone that is there sick, pray for them. If you're out on the streets and the Lord leads you to go and pray for someone or to share your testimony or to share the gospel, do it. Do it. That's the famous lines of, of Mary at the wedding of Cana. Everybody thought Nike come up with it and it wasn't. It was Mary. She said, whatever He tells you to do, do it. It's simple. It is simple. It seems like it's difficult, but it's not. It's simple. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.